at, at Hope Alliance, we care very deeply about proclaiming the gospel in everything that we do, whether we're preaching through the Old Testament, the New Testament, we land on Jesus every time. That is our, our goal, is to be centered on the freedom and the love that we find in Jesus, in the gospel. And so I am very protective of the pulpit, this music stand. No, I, I'm, very, I'm very protective of, of who gets up front to share from scripture. And so you've heard Pastor Adam preach before, who's our, our lead pastor from Bethlehem, uh, and he always lands on the gospel. He taught me how to do that. And, and uh, so when I knew I wasn't going to preach this weekend, because Jess and I were away this week and had some meetings to deal with, and so I wasn't in sermon prep mode, I thought, well, who, who will I ask? And so uh, my friend Nick Simpson's here. Uh, he is a graduate of the Nyack College, uh, which is our denominational school uh, and, and the seminary. And so that's important and everything. But what I love about Nick is that he loves the gospel and, and loves Jesus and everything comes back to the gospel for him. And he's been a word of encouragement to me over and over again when I'm despondent, when I'm despairing, when I'm scared. He'll say, that's the words of the enemy. You need the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, you can speak. You can come here and preach. So Nick, come on up. I'm super glad that he's here with his family, uh, Ryan and Katie. And so he is, he's going to be preaching right in the middle of the series we've been going through called A Picture of God, uh, where we're looking at Jesus to get a clearer picture of the Father. And so he's going to be preaching uh, through that today. So love you, brother. Take it away. Make it happen. All right. Thanks, man. Um, it is an honor to be here with you guys here this morning. Um, a special thanks to Jim and Jess and their family. They are so near and dear to us. I miss them greatly. I had the privilege of working with Jim at Fellowship Alliance Chapel, where I'm at right now. And when uh, he told me that he was going to come up here and plant a church, sorrow filled my heart. But uh, I am super uh, excited for you guys to have them. They are just such a great family, and uh, you guys are a blessed congregation uh, to call them pastor. And so it is just very great to uh, to be here in their presence and, uh, and up here with you guys. So thanks for having me. Uh, also, thanks to my wife, Katie, and my son, Ryan, who are over there. Um, love you guys, and so thanks for all your support, and now they're embarrassed, and that's good. I did my job. Um, so Jim mentioned I went to Nyack College, and when I was a student at Nyack, I majored in youth ministry. So I, did, I was a youth pastor for over 10 years before going into the current role that I'm at at the church I serve in now. Um, and the reason I wanted to go into youth ministry was because when I was in high school, I didn't know Jesus, but there was a group of high school students that did, and they were really vocal about their faith, and they witnessed to me all the time, always sharing about Jesus, and it became this thing that, as a result of their faith, I accepted Christ at the end of my 10th grade year in high school, and that motivated me to want to be the kind of person that would motivate other students to do that for people who were like me, who didn't know Jesus, and I wanted to empower them to share Christ. And so that was the motivation for why I wanted to be a youth pastor was because of what my friends did for me, uh, sharing Christ with me. And so when I became a Christian at the end of my 10th grade year, got involved in a youth group, we did lots of youth trips, and one summer, um, we grew up in, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, State College, so I'm in Pennsylvania, so you guys know where that is, uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, that's my hometown, and we uh, did this trip this summer where there was probably about 300 students there, we went into Pittsburgh, and it was this event designed to teach you how to share your faith in Christ. And so we all, uh, we all descended upon the Allegheny Center Alliance Church, and from there we, we learned about uh, how to share Jesus, and we did community service opportunities. And there was this one youth group that was there that was this big youth group. And there was, I don't know if you've ever, for the teens out there, if you've ever done youth trips, 
And there's like always that cool youth group. They're big. They're just, they seem really cool. You're like, that's the cool kids. You want to get to know them. There's this youth pastor. He seems super cool. You want to know him. And so like there was that group there and we wanted to know him. And, uh, and so all week we were kind of just in awe of them, right? And so we were all out doing some service projects. We came back and word started spreading about this really cool youth pastor, uh, after we all got back from our group. And it was this is they went out. And he decided he needed to use the restroom, so he went into a little portage on. And his youth group thought it would be really cool to knock that over while he was inside it. And they successfully did that. And so when we all got back from our service projects and sharing our faith, word started spreading about this guy named Roger, and everyone started calling him Porteraj. Because apparently he was covered in blue, and I don't want to know what else, but that was what happened to him. And the remainder of that week... He was Porteraj wherever he went. Porteraj, Porteraj. And if I was that youth pastor, I probably would have been on the news, like youth pastor murders youth group in Pittsburgh. You know, it just, it would have been bad news. But that was his label. He was labeled Porteraj. And it kind of got me thinking uh, as we were going into this series is that as gross and disgusting as that story is and how that imagery gets to you, um, we get labeled in life. And whether these are self-inflicted labels that we put on ourselves or labels that others put on us, a lot of times we get this name that wasn't meant to be our name, like Porteraj, <laughs> but they affect us. They affect our relationships. They affect our job choices. They affect our opinions of ourselves and what we do. And I know that you guys are doing this series on a picture of God And um, what I want to do today is look at a characteristic of God that I love because I tend to be the type of person, I'm a a glass half empty guy. I tend to be negative. I know Jim says I encourage him. That's good to know that my negativity doesn't rub off on you. Um, But the thing I do know is I know that I do serve a God who gives me a new identity and new descriptors by which to live my life by. And so by my end of my time here today, if you leave with one thing, if there's one thing I want you to kind of walk away with is know this, that God loves you, he looks to you with care and compassion, and he wants to restore you and have you walk in the fullness of life that Jesus offers. So let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to share from your word and to be with your people. God, I pray that, Lord, my words are your words, that you would speak through me. Lord, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you in and just ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Mark, chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 21 through 43. Now, if you don't, don't worry about it. I'm going to read it, and so you can just listen as I read this. But this is Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Says this, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, 
Her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Now, this story is amazing and unbelievable, but I want to introduce you to a couple of the main characters that we see in this story. First off, we see Jesus, right? Just before we get to this chapter, Jesus has just delivered a man from demons. He cast out the demons into 2,000 pigs. They ran off a hillside and drowned themselves in a lake. Pretty crazy stuff. And just before that, in the chapter earlier, we see Jesus with his disciples. A storm comes up on the boat, and he calms the wind and waves. And so in these two short stories right before this passage, we see that Jesus has the authority of God to command all of nature and to command the heavenly realms with the demons and the angels. He shows that he is God incarnate. And then we come to our next main character in the crowd, Jairus. He is a synagogue leader. This is a guy who is a devout Jewish follower a man of God who is elected into this position. He's in charge of the synagogue. He oversees the worship services in the synagogue. He cares for the scrolls, the building, the weekly teaching. He receives money to maintain and care for the synagogue, and he cares for his congregation. He is a pastor. He pastors his people. And this man is a good Jewish man. He follows God's word faithfully, faithfully, and he leads others to do the same. He was probably very respected, considered in high regard to the people around him. But his daughter has fallen ill. And he seeks this one that he has heard so much about, Jesus. And he hopes that Jesus can help heal his daughter. Then finally, our last character. She's in the crowd waiting. We do not know her name. All we know is her condition. A woman who has been in relentless pain and suffering. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She has sought every doctor she could find. She has spent every penny that she has in hopes to relieve herself from this pain to no avail. She's in pain, she's in desperation, and she seeks Jesus in hopes that he could bring healing to her. Now, when Pastor Jim came up to me and told me that you guys were doing a series on the picture of God, one of the themes that he brought out to me is the idea that God is interruptible. 
And I love that word, interruptible, because it's one of the first things that we notice in this passage. Not once, but twice, Jesus is stopped by these people and asked to help them. And he doesn't look at them and say, you know what, I have a schedule to keep. We have places to go. No, he stops at this moment. He listens to their needs. He allows himself to be interrupted. And I think that 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 is an important thing to see here. Both Jairus and this woman, they stop Jesus in his tracks. My question for you today is, if you were in this situation, would you do the same? Would you stop Jesus in your tracks? And I think it's easy for us. We would look at that and we'd go, well, yeah, if my daughter was dying or if I had this disease, I would definitely stop Jesus in, our, in his tracks. But my question is, really, would you? Because I think the reality is, is we often feel like we cannot interrupt God, that there are things that block us from dealing with God, doing business with God. And we give ex- excuses as to why or why not approach God. And when you look at these characters, Jairus and this woman, they definitely had their fair share of excuses that they could have offered to say, you know what? Encountering Jesus is maybe not a good idea right now. Jairus, for example, take a look at him. He's a synagogue leader, a high-profile position. He knew probably all of the Pharisees. There was probably a word that was sent out, an edict probably to all the teachers saying, this man, Jesus, is a blasphemer. The things that he is doing does not honor God. Don't you dare let him into your houses of worship. He is not a teaching that we follow. I'm sure that he knew that the person of Jesus was a scary individual to those of the faith. And so for Jairus to even come to this crowd and lay before him and say, come heal my daughter, that is risky. And so you could imagine in his head the thoughts that were going through as he was nervously probably approaching Jesus to ask him for this request. You're going to lose everything that you have. You can kiss your family goodbye. You can kiss your job goodbye. All your security, say goodbye to it. He's probably wrestling with those thoughts in his head. And the woman, she's been bleeding for 12 years. According to the law, she is an unclean person. So unclean that she should probably be cast out from society, living on the, on the edges of the city because she is unclean. And yet she is going through, pushing through the crowd to try to get to Jesus. And what's going through her head? What if people who know about my condition, the doctors that have treated me, the people that I've seen, they see me, they realize that I'm dirty, I'm unclean, I'll be cast out. I might be put to death, I might be cut off from the people. Is it worth the risk? The excuses that she could have had to say, you know what, it's not, I'll just, I'll step back. But she decided to take that risk. Now, do these excuses sound familiar? I mean, even Jairus' friends at one point say, don't even bother. Don't bother Jesus with this. We do that all the time. When we're faced with trials, when we're faced with illness, when we're faced with the questions of life, how many times do we have this internal debate in our head? Well, I can't go to God. I I haven't been to church in years. God's not going to listen to me. We might say that. Or, you know what? I've done a lot of bad things. I've cheated on my spouse. God's not going to listen to me. I don't deserve God. Or maybe uh, if you were like me growing up, uh, you know, one of the things that was taught to me was, you know, faith is a, is a crutch for the weak. You know, you're strong. You can be strong. Rest in your strength. You don't need God. 
Or maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease, and in so far, it has been incurable. And you say, if they can't fix it, certainly God can't. We all have excuses that we come before, that we say, this is the reason why I can't approach God. This is the reason why I can't interrupt him. But what I want you to see here in this passage is the beauty that Jesus is stopped by these people. And he looks at them in the face, and he hears them, and he goes to help them. This is the God we serve, the interruptible. He desires to walk with his creation. He wants to meet with us and hear our needs. He wants to spend time with us each and every day. Many times, our life is a lot like the throngs of people. There was a crowd waiting for Jesus as he got off the boat. Imagine that crowd. They're, they're talking, they're noisy, they're busy. There's all this tumultuous life, constant noise and confusion. Man, doesn't our life feel like the crowd sometimes? Like, it's just always busy. But God comes into that moment. Jesus comes into that moment, and he stops. And he takes time to meet with these people face to face. That's the God that we serve. When I was a youth pastor, um, we had this uh, mother come to our church. Uh, She had a son who was diagnosed with cancer. And through it, she accepted Christ. And as a church body, we rallied around this student uh, who was in our youth ministry. And we prayed for him. And we lifted him up in prayer. And there was just an army of faith surrounding this boy and we were in our hopes to see him healed of this cancer. And unfortunately, he succumbed to his disease and he went home to be with the Lord. And I'll never forget, uh, I was new in ministry and just kind of learning the ropes and our senior pastor's wife was meeting with the mom and she was mad. She was angry at God because she wanted to see her son healed and God took him. And I remember our senior pastor's wife saying, God can handle your anger. God can handle your anger. And what that taught me in that moment is that we serve a God who is big enough to handle the mess of our life. The labels that we maybe have been carrying around for far too long, the disappointments, the failures, whatever it might be, God can handle those things. Even when we're angry, God can handle those things. Because he can be approached. He can be interrupted. One of the things that strikes me about this story is kind of how countercultural Jesus is. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Jesus, he grew up in the temple. He, he was a good Jewish boy. And so if you go in the book of Luke, one of the things that happened in Jesus' life as a child is his parents actually lost him for three days. So good parenting skills, mom and dad. And uh, one of the things that they did is they, in their quest to find Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 2, they find him in the temple. 246 through 47 says this, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see, here is Jesus. He's a young boy and he is impressing the teachers of that day with his understanding of the word of God. He's astounding them of how well he can speak with them. And Jesus knew what it meant to be a good Jewish follower. He is God incarnate. He understands all of God's word. And so I want to take you to one of the most exciting books of the Bible, 
the book of Leviticus. And I'm joking a little bit right there. Actually, all of God's words exciting. But if you're new to reading the Bible, I recommend pausing on Leviticus. You know, go into some other direction. But I am going to read for you from Leviticus. Leviticus is a is God's laws in how to make the people of God follow God in a holy and pure way. These were conduct rules, ways that their lives wouldn't desecrate the holiness of God, that they too would be holy if they follow the laws in the book of Leviticus. And so one of the things that ties into Mark 5 is we have this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Well, there is an entire chapter devoted in Leviticus 15 on, and I'm going to read this verbatim how my Bible says it, discharges causing uncleanliness. So at this time, I'd like to offer free donuts for anyone. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to do that. Um, kind of explicit, though, definitely. And as you can imagine, this is a very specific and detailed passage as to what happens for someone like this woman who's been bleeding. So it gives you context as to what, what is going on in her life. But basically, this is what I'll sum up Leviticus 15 for you. It says this, if you touch someone who's unclean, you're unclean. If a pot touches this unclean person, break the pot. It's unclean. If that unclean person gets in the bed, the bed's unclean. Get rid of it. If you happen to get clean by touching this unclean person, you have to wait seven days. And then after seven days, you'll be considered clean. So there are very strict rules as to how to be a clean person. And when we get to Leviticus 15, it says this, in verse 29, it says, On the eighth day, so you've waited seven days, you've been pronounced clean, eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons, bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. Or some versions read this as, for defiling my tabernacle, which is among them. So you see right here, there is this entire process by which a person becomes clean before the Lord. This is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. There was only one group of people that could go before the holiness of God, and that was the Levitical priests from the tribe of Levi. Even if you were declared ritually clean, say this woman came, did all those sacrifices, she could not enter into that tabernacle. That was the right of only a priest. And so I want you to put a pin in that thought, that understanding. Okay, so only a priest, this Levitical law, that is the only way that you can become clean in the eyes of a Israelite, a Jewish believer. Put a pin in that thing right there. And now let's go back to Mark 5. Here's this woman. She's in the throngs of the crowd. Everybody's around. And she only wants to touch the cloak of Jesus. And so what does he do the moment she does that? He stops. Jesus asks, who touched me? The disciples are like, Jesus, are you kidding me? There's like a million people around here. Uh, Lots of people are touching you. But Jesus presses the point. And this woman is terrified. She's terrified. She trembles in fear, it says. And she admits to what she has done. Now, she trembles because there are a couple things happening. But Jesus looks at her and he says, Daughter, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. 
See, this unclean woman touches Jesus, making him ceremonially unclean. She knows that. She knows what the, what the law states. And so I'm sure there was one part of her that was terrified of the fact that I've been bumping into a lot of people making them unclean. But now here's this man that I view as holy, holy God, the God that cannot be around any uncleanness. He is holy, perfect. Only a priest could enter into the holiness of God, and I've just touched him, making him unclean, fear and trembling. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't rebuke her. He's not like, oh my gosh, I have to get ceremonially clean. Everyone back up. Let's go, to, let's go right now to the temple. Let's do this. No, he looks at her. He looks at her right in the face. He gives her a name. This woman is nameless in scripture, but what does he call her? Daughter. He gives her an identity. He brings her into the family of God. She's adopted into the family, daughter. And he tells her that her faith has healed her. Now, while all this is happening, right? Jairus is trying to get Jesus to get to his house. But word comes from the people in his household that his daughter is dead. And Jesus hears this and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And so he sends the crowd away and he, uh, with some of his disciples, they enter into Jairus' home and there is Jairus' dead, lifeless daughter laying in bed. And people are mourning and they're wailing. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laugh. Jesus sends everybody out. And so he takes this girl by the hand. He touches her and tells her to get up. And guess what? She does. Well, guess what? That same law that applies to how you can be unclean because of the discharge, well, guess what? That same law applies to touching dead bodies. That is a very unclean thing to do. You do not do that. There are rules by which to do that. But Jesus goes in and he touches this child. Now, do you see the beauty in this? Jesus here is Emmanuel. Jim mentioned that name, Emmanuel. That means God is with us. Jesus is the manifestation of God in the flesh. So here we see God among his people. And what happens to him? He he gets touched by an unclean woman. He himself touches a dead body. Things that in the old covenant would be said, they would say, no, you cannot be around. This is the holiness of God. God cannot be in the presence of such dirt and filth. But this is Jesus. He's the new covenant. Jesus is the atonement. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the only one who's worthy to take on our dirt, our filth, the mess of this world. And so Jesus, God's own son, sent to be the sacrifice, just as we read in Leviticus 15, that sacrifice that needs to happen, Jesus is that for mankind. And as a result, just like the tabernacle, that sacrifice that only a priest could enter in the Holy of Holies, Jesus now offers that for the people that encounter him, that believe. In these two interactions in this story, Jesus is modeling that he is one, the incarnate God, who is coming among his people so that they could be renewed into God's presence. And he wants you to know that God is the God who can be approached, that you can be in the presence of God. All you have to do is believe. So what do you do with all this? Well, first we need to see that we can approach God. That's something we need to understand, that God is approachable. 
that through Jesus, the kind of interactions that we read about here in Scripture, they happen every day to people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And second, we need to see that we are part of a greater story that God has been writing, that he has been weaving since the beginning of time. Just as much as we need to approach God, we need to realize that God has come and he approaches us. And that through Jesus, we can encounter the living God who desires a relationship with us. It says in God's word that he is the lifter of our head. Is your head down today? Are you feeling ashamed? Do you feel dirty? Don't let those labels define you. Those are the labels I was talking about earlier. This is the God who looks at you in the eye and he redeems you. He gives you a new name. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, 9 through 10, it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. This is your identity for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. This is the new label. And I think it's important to note here that we see Jesus do two miraculous things here. And I'm sure in your lifetime, as you've grown up, if, you've grown, if any of you have ever grown up in the church, you've probably heard of miraculous stories of, of healings and, and people overcoming cancer through prayer, or there was a diagnosis and they saw one thing on the x-ray and then they came back after a prayer time and now they see something completely different. Um, we all hear stories about that. And I think when we look through a story like this and we see how Jesus heals this woman by a simple touch, raises a child from the dead, I think a common question is, well, what about you? What about me? What, what does that mean for me? One of the things that um, my friends like to joke with me about is I have an Instagram, and I'm a type 1 diabetic. So I'm like insulin dependent, I wear a pump, and I have all this stuff. And everyone always picks on me because my Instagram is always about my type 1 diabetes. And they're always like, is it you going to post about your type 1 diabetes? And that's what they always pick on me about, that that's all I ever talk about. And I will say this, my type 1 diabetes definitely defines me, but it doesn't consume me. And the other thing I have that I don't talk a lot about on my Instagram is I have continual migraine headaches, like, all the time. I'm always getting... I woke up this morning, I'm like, I'm going to get a headache. Took a pill, like, hopefully I'm going to be good. But these things that I have, these are, these are these things that are a part of who I am, and I've not been healed from either of those things, and I follow Jesus faithfully. Or, or take this mom that I mentioned earlier in our youth group, like, she was praying and seeking Jesus for the healing of her son, and God took her son, and she faithfully pursued God. And I've seen saints of the faith who have gone before the Lord, and God decides to take them with him. And I can't give you a clear answer as to why God heals or doesn't heal someone. In my lifetime, I've seen many different outcomes as a result of that. But what I can say is this, is in the story of Mark Jesus shows us that he is God incarnate. 
And just like earlier in the story, this Jesus has the power to command the wind and the waves. Demons flee because of the power that's in his name. And he can heal the sick and he can bring the dead to life. In the name of Jesus, all of these things are possible. See, Jesus is laying down the foundation to what will be the ultimate miracle, which will be when he himself defeats death and rises again. That is the power in Jesus' name. And so this thing I can give a clear answer to, that Jesus is life. Jesus offers a fullness of life your life right now. Jesus' power, his love, his faith, his hope, all of these things are accessible to all of you now in Jesus' name. And all you have to do is exhibit this one trait that these characters had showed us in Mark 5 that's common, and that's believe. Do you believe in the power of Jesus' name. Will you believe that today? You don't have to be held down by the labels that were put on you from the moment you were a child to now you're an adult. If you've made failures in your life, this is the God of second chances. If you are feeling unwell, this is the God that can bring hope into your pain. And that's what I want to lead you here in today. And so if you do me a favor, if you could just stand, we're gonna, I'm going to lead you through a time of prayer. And what I want to do is I'm just going to take time right now just to pray over you, with you. And then um, I know this isn't probably something that maybe you're used to, but what I'm going to do is this, is uh, Pastor Jim and myself, we're going to be over here off to the side Um, After I'm done leading you guys through prayer, if there's a concern or a need or something that you want to have us pray for, we're going to be up here on the sides here to pray with you. Um, If you don't feel led in that, that's okay. What we're going to do is we're also going to praise the Lord together. Because maybe you're here in this place and you're confident of who you are in Christ and you know where you stand. Then I encourage you to sing with just the joy of the Lord that you have that in you. But if you're here today and you want prayer, um, for whatever, whatever it is, a need that you have, um, whatever that case may be, Jim and I will be over here uh, just to pray for you guys. But let me just lead you in a time of prayer right now. Heavenly Father God, we exalt you because you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope. There is mercy. Jesus, you come into our presence, into our mess of life, the tumultuous, we're like the crowds, we're noisy, we're busy, we're sometimes too busy for you, but that doesn't matter. In the name of Jesus, you stop, you listen to us, you give us a name. We are sons and daughters of the King. We are a chosen people. You call us a royal priesthood. That means we can walk into your presence, we can experience the powerful, holy God And all that he offers, you give it to us through your son, Jesus. And so, God, we come before you. Lord, I just want to lead. If if you're out here today and you haven't ever 
allow Jesus to come into your life, that chance to believe in Jesus' name, I want to just lead you in this prayer. You can silently pray it to yourself, but if, if you've never accepted Christ, welcomed him in, asked him to be the Jesus that meets you face to face, I want to lead you in that time right now. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I come before you with my mess. I lay it at your feet. I don't want to live this life alone any longer. Jesus, I give you authority to come into my life to give me a new name that I don't hold on to the things of my flesh but I give it to you God so that you can take it over Jesus fill me Jesus give me the fullness of your presence Jesus come into my life just pray that to him God we just exalt you in this place we're going to sing of your praise Lord We're going to lift up the name of Jesus because there's power in your name. Amen. Dan, will you lead us?